Turn with me to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. The Bible is divided into two sections, Old Testament New Testament. If you want an easy way to remember it, Old Testament, think Moses. New Testament, think Jesus. If you're not familiar with the division, that's a good way to think of it. Old Testament is Moses, creation, the law. New Testament is Jesus, salvation, the cross, the church. So we're looking at the last book in the Old Testament, Last book before you get to the story about Jesus being born. We've been working through this book verse by verse. It's a very short book. It's only four chapters. But it's packed with information. It's a book of warning to the people of Israel. So Malachi was a prophet. God gave Malachi the words. Malachi took them to the people. And the people were supposed to listen. They didn't, but we have a chance to listen ourselves. So we're going to look at chapter 2, verse 17, and then into chapter 3 to verse 5. The chapter division here is unfortunate, but again, chapter divisions were made up about a thousand years after it was written or more, so we don't have to follow them. Uh, Originally, it was just one long letter or sermon. So chapter 2, verse 17 You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will come suddenly to his temple even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come near near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien, because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. I didn't pick this passage because of what was in the news this week. I picked this passage, we decided to preach through this about six months ago. But I think it speaks very clearly to what America is going through. And the question this passage asks and answers, what is justice? What is justice? And who's going to enforce it? Where is the God of justice? There are the way things should be, and they're the way things are. And how as a Christian do we take the word of God, see how things should be, and apply it to how things are? I believe this is one of the most difficult questions that Christians have to answer in the church in America. How do you live as a follower of God 
in this country and not be led astray, led away by the world, by the country, by the people around you. So this is a warning to Israel, but it's a warning to us. So I want to see three things in this passage. Seeing justice, saved from justice, and seeking justice. When the prophet comes to the people, it means they were not listening. You see, they already had the Old Testament. They already had the law of God. So why did the prophet have to come to them? Because they were not listening to God. But they thought they were. And this is where Christians are in America. You have the word of God. You think you know what's right. But as the Bible reveals to us, often we have confidence in ourselves and not in Scripture. So look at this first part, seeing justice. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? Right now, you're going to have to decide if you know everything or not. How confident are you in your own positions? How confident are you that you know what is right? that you know what is just, that you know what should be. The more confident you are, the less this will speak to you. You see, these people being, that were written to here, they were very confident. They knew the way the world should be. They said, they were so confident, they said to God, you say you're weary, but how? How have we wearied you? Because we're pretty sure we're doing the right thing. God, you don't know what you're talking about because we're right. They even say back to him, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. In other words, God doesn't care about who's doing good and who's doing wrong. In fact, he's rewarding the evildoers. That's what they looked. They looked around the world and they said, bad people are rich, good people are poor. People that follow God are being oppressed. People that don't follow God are being rewarded. Therefore, God doesn't care about good and evil. It's confidence, isn't it? They said, where is the God of justice? The implication being, he's not here. They were so confident, they knew how the world was, they could tell God, you have left your job. Now let me ask you this. How confident are you right now? Are you sure you know what's right? Are you sure that you can see politics fairly? Are you sure that your economic positions are accurate? How confident are you right now? Because if you're really confident, I don't think this is going to help you very much. But if you humble yourself and submit to not the preacher, but the word, we can grow. We can be like Christ. And maybe you turn out to be right in the end anyway. But you can't know until you say to yourself, I don't want to be like these people who were so confident they could speak back to God. Now, I'm sure all of you watch the news, follow politics, go to work, have opinions about how those things should be. Let me suggest that you may be wrong. And if you can't hold that, if you can't conceive that you might be wrong, then God cannot speak to you. He will speak at you, but it won't come inside of you. You will not receive it. So this sermon, 
is trying to take God's word and teach you how to be like God. But you have to know that you don't have something to be taught, don't you? If you think you already have the answer, then you don't go to a teacher. You only go to a teacher, you only go to the word to be taught when you don't know or you're not sure you know. This passage is very controversial. But I think it's only controversial because we think the world should be one way and it's not. And God doesn't agree with us. So we must humble ourselves before God. And then whatever God says, we can receive. But sometimes and often that means having a radical change in your thinking. That means holding a position for decades and changing it. That means doing your own research in the world and coming to a solid conclusion and turning away from it. That's what the Word of God does. It comes to you and says, you don't know everything and you have been deceived. So repent. Turn away. And the longer you've held a position, the harder it is to turn away from it, isn't it? And so the more of a need that you humble yourself and say, I may have been in this position for 75 years, but turns out I was wrong. This passage was written about 2,500 years ago. So compare that to your life experience. How long have you held the positions you've held? A year? 10 years? 30 years? The Bible's held this for 2,500 years. And God's held it forever. And when we look at it that way, we think, you know what? Maybe I've been deceived. Maybe I'm wrong. And then you can learn. Don't be blinded by this world. Don't be blinded by yourself. This passage is about justice. Where is the God of justice? The answer follows. When we think, so if you're a Christian, you think of grace and justice. And often, we think that because God has given us grace, that justice is not important anymore. So justice was for the Old Testament. That was the law. That was sort of do the right thing. But now we've been saved from that. And so we just need to focus on God's grace. But that means we have to discount every time God talks about justice. Because when God talks about something, he cares about it. Do we care about justice as much as God does? I don't think we do. I think we lean on grace so that we don't have to think about justice. Justice is just as important to God as grace is. In Psalm 89, God puts in perspective, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. When you look at God's throne, sort of the symbolic of where he rules his kingdom, what is it based on? not based on grace. It's based on justice. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. How important is justice to God? He built everything on it. He built everything on justice. And righteousness being the correlation to justice. Righteousness is what it should be. Justice is doing what is right. Does God do what is right? He is just. Micah 6 applies it to us. 
He says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's quite a summary. How important is justice to God? He builds his kingdom on it, and he requires it of us. If you don't think much about justice, you're not thinking after God. Grace does not remove justice. It fulfills it. It accomplishes it. Grace makes up for justice where we couldn't. Justice is not removed or gotten rid of. It's fulfilled. To be saved is to be just. It's not to say justice doesn't matter anymore. So as a Christian, how much do we care about justice? As much as God? Or have we used grace as a way to push it away? Justice is what the world talks about. Christians talk about grace. But that thinking is opposite of the Bible. God talks about justice and grace. So what is justice? It's a big question, isn't it? If it's so important and God has built his kingdom on it, what is it? If it's the foundation for the kingdom of heaven and it's the requirement for us, what is justice? Have you noticed there's a debate about that in the world? Social justice, social justice warriors. So what is justice? Well, first, Isaiah 28 says, I also, also I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plummet. Have you ever seen someone build a wall and they need to make sure the wall's straight? Well, have you ever looked at a wall and you can't tell if it's straight or not because you're maybe crooked yourself? So how do you tell if the wall is leaning two inches top to bottom? You take a string and you put a weight on it and you go to the top of the wall and you put it at the top and you let the string with the weight fall down. And if at the bottom of the string, the weight is this far away from the bottom of the wall, you know that the top is leaning. And if it's resting against the wall, you know it's leaning in. The string and gravity tells you if the wall is straight. So what is justice? Justice is the measuring line. Justice tells you what you should be and when you're not. It tells you what should be. It's the straight line that God has given to this world to measure ourselves against. Here's what should be. So what we have to be careful is not to look at the wall and say, I see that as straight. That is just. That is the way it should be. You don't know. You needed something else that's, that's reliable, that's objective, that's always true to measure yourself and the wall. See, when you put that plumb line, as it's called, on the wall, you know you're checking yourself, too. Because you looked at the wall and you said, that wall is straight. But then you put the plumb line on it and you say, oh, I'm wrong. It's not straight. I have to correct myself and the wall. That's what justice does. It's an objective, transcendental measuring line for the world and ourselves. We don't decide what it is. We live according to it. The word justice comes from a Hebrew word mishpat. occurs 400, 500 times in the Bible. It means in this context what is right and proper. 
the God-given norm to ensure a well-ordered society. It's also the rightful claim of the innocent party. When you go to court and you have a right, the court doesn't create the right. How does it give you justice? By giving you what you already had. By enforcing what you already had. You have a right to life, don't you? The court does not give you the right to life. They protect it. They do justice. So justice is enforcing what is already there. It doesn't create it. It's a fair decision. So it's what is due to somebody. It's due to them whether you give it to them or not. It's due to them. Aquinas, who was a philosopher or a theologian a thousand years ago, said justice is a habit, habit being a perpetual action, whereby a man renders to each one his due. It's not mercy. It's not grace. Those things give you what you don't deserve. Justice is giving you what you deserve, what's due to you. Tim Keller says, We do justice when we give all human beings their due as creations of God. So doing justice includes not only the righting of wrongs, but generosity and social concern, especially towards the poor and vulnerable. This kind of life reflects the character of God. It consists of a broad range of activities from simple and fair, honest dealings with people in daily life to regular, radical giving of your time and resources to activism that seeks to end particular forms of injustice, violence, and oppression. Tony Evans says, Biblical justice is the equitable and impartial application of the rule of God's moral law in society. In other words, social justice. It's applying God's character to society. Equally. What's the difference between you and everybody else? As far as justice is concerned, nothing. Were you created in God's image? Were they created in God's image? So what is due to you as an image bearer? The same thing that's due to everyone as an image bearer. You are given rights by God based on your existence as a human. And since you share that humanity in common with everyone, then justice gives everyone equality. Because we're all in the image of God. There's no difference between us. So justice is fair, and everyone gets what is due. And what is due to the image of God? Dignity, respect, freedom, life. Because they're in the image of God, not because of what they do. So it's equal across the board. Do we want that? Do we want everyone to get what's due to them in society? Or do we just care about what's getting due to us? You see, doing justice means giving justice to everybody, not just ourselves. In fact, we don't really want justice for ourselves. We want to get everything we can. Not everything is due to us. And to get what's not due to you, you have to take it from somebody else. If you have more than someone, ask yourself, do you deserve more or did you take it? Or was it given to you? You know, you can be given something that you don't deserve. 
You can be given money and privilege and power and position and a country to live in that you don't deserve. How do you know if you deserve it or not? Was it taken from somebody else to give in to you? Was it due them, but it was given to you? You didn't have to want it. You didn't have to plan it. You didn't have to take it. But justice says if it's due to someone else, you can't have it. They said, where is the God of justice? There is no justice in this world. And God says, okay, here's my answer. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. You asked where I was. I'll tell you, I'm on my way. Where is the God of justice? He's coming. He's on his way. You ask for it, you're going to get it. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek, where is the God of justice, will suddenly come to his temple. You asked for God, but he's going to surprise you when he gets here. See, these people said, where is the God of justice? We're looking for him. He said, "Mm, but you'll still be shocked. You'll be startled when he actually shows up. Even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? You see, God is just. And when you speak unjustly about God, when he shows up, who can endure that? Not the people who are unjust. Not the people who are doing injustice, speaking against God. Who can stand when he appears? Who can stand before God and said, I'm okay. I've done right. I've lived justly. I've given everyone their due, including you, God. Who can stand before God and say that? For he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. You know what fires do? to things that aren't metal, to destroy them. So these people said, God, you're not really God. Show up and prove it. So God says, I will show up. And when I show up, I'll get rid of everything that won't give me my due. I will get rid of injustice. I will fix the problem. But what if you're the problem? Who can stand then? You see, we want God to kill evil, set the world right, Put things back in order. But what if you're out of order? What if you're the one causing problems? What if you're what's wrong with your world? When God shows up to set your world right, he has to purge you out of it. That's why he says, who can stand? Who can endure the day of his coming? We see injustice around us and we ask, where is God? God is merciful. That's where he is. Because if he showed up, he'd have to, Destroy evil and destroy evil people. Now, how is that any good to us? It's not good news, is it? I thought Christianity was supposed to be positive. It's only positive because it starts out negative. It's positive because it gives you an answer to your problem, which is you are not standing before God with justice. You have not given your neighbor what's due to them. You've not lived in a way that's treated everybody the same. You've prioritized some people over other people. You've ignored some people. You've taken what's not yours. You've not given people what's theirs. What's the answer? Is it just God shows up and wipes us out? Look what he says in the second part. I will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and I will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. 
that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. But I thought he was going to destroy injustice. You see, here's the twist, the paradox of Christianity. God is just and he will destroy injustice, but he will also save his people. How can he save his people and wipe out their injustice? How can he be just and gracious? How can he save and destroy? That's the gospel. You see, he's going to, this has already happened. You see, this part we're reading right now, it's already happened. My messenger, that's John the Baptist. The the New Testament tells us John the Baptist already showed up to prepare the way. He says, the Lord of the covenant, that's Jesus. He showed up in his temple. But the first time he showed up, 2,000 years ago, he purged sins, but not by destroying the sinner, by assuming the sin, by bringing it on himself. He said, I'm going to get rid of sin and save the sinner. But how can you have both? How can you purge the sin without purging the sinner? That's the gospel. Jesus who knew no sin, who knew no injustice, who gave everyone his due, became injustice, sin for us. But if he became sin for us, then he must be purged with fire. You see how it works? If he takes on the burden of injustice, he must be treated like an unjust person. And the fire must burn him up. That's what the cross is. When Jesus died on the cross, he was treated like he was unjust. He was treated as if he stole from his neighbor. He was treated as if he was oppressive. He was treated like he was a racist. He was treated like he was xenophobic. He was treated like he was a misogynist. That's what happens to them. Jesus goes to the cross and he is purged for our sins. Hebrews 1, God, who at various times spoke by the prophets, and these last days has spoken to us by his Son, Jesus, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why did he sit down? Because he was done. He took all of our sins, all who trust him, he takes your sin and is burned up for it. Jesus did not just go on the cross as an example. He was destroyed on the cross. He was consumed. He was burned up. He was put into a grave. He descended into hell so that we wouldn't have to be. Malachi is warning us with judgment and mercy. You choose. Will you stand before God or will Christ stand for you? Will you be purged of your sin or will Christ be purged for you? Those are the only choices you have. There's no third option. Either Christ dies for you or you die for yourself. Either Christ is burned up for you or you're burned up for yourself. Either Christ stands before God or you stand before God. And who can stand in the day of his coming? What Jesus said was, if you'll just give up everything, 
and trust me, I'll be burned up for you. I'll be purged for you. I'll save you. Just give up everything. That's it. Turn from everything that you're trusting now and simply trust Jesus. That's the, what God is calling us in this passage. He says, I'll purify the sons of Levi. Those are the priests. Those are the Christians, as it were, that they may offer to the Lord. He's saying there's a way out. But you have to trust Jesus. Not Jesus plus your good works. Not Jesus plus baptism. Not Jesus plus the church. Just Jesus. Because only Jesus died for you. Only Jesus was purged. So turn from your injustice and turn to Christ. And you will be saved. You will stand before God just as if you had treated everybody the way they should have been treated. As if you had treated God the way he should have been treated. And it's even more than that. He says that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. That the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord. Jesus doesn't just get rid of your sins. He lets you come into the temple. Now you can stand before God in Christ. First Peter 2 says, You also, those who have believed in Christ, as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices, to stand before God, and to offer up things to Him acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Do you want God to be happy with you? Do you want God to look at you and smile? Do you want God to treat you with favor? He will in Christ and through Christ. Justice is a terrible thing when you're on the wrong side of it. But when you're on the side of Christ, he fulfills it for you. You don't get rid of justice. You don't say, well, now we have Jesus who don't care about justice. No, Jesus became justice for us. That's what we Love about the gospel. It's not that justice doesn't matter. It's that it was fulfilled. It's that it still matters, but we don't have to keep it. So is that it? We're done? We're good? Like, okay, Jesus kept it for us. Nothing left for us to do, right? There's a third part to this. If you've accepted Christ if you've been justified, now you want to follow Christ. And if you don't want to follow Christ, you need to go back, trust Christ, then you'll want to follow him. But now you want to follow Christ, you want to seek justice. Why? Because Jesus sought justice. God seeks justice. So his people, following him, will care about what he cares about, will seek what he seeks. If his kingdom is built on justice, then what will the members of the kingdom look for? Push. Seek. Justice. So often Christians think that they're separated from the world. They have nothing to do with those outside of the church because we're about grace. And that's it. How people treat each other and the conditions of America, that's a, sort of a separate thing. But we are in the world but not of the world. In other words, we are in the world with people, but we don't take our values from those people. Where do we take our value? Where do we get our idea of a straight line from? The Bible, from God. 
As you live in this world, if you're not seeking justice, you're not seeking God. If you don't care how you treat people or how other people treat people, you're not following God. Because God loves justice. He loves to see people get what's due to them. He loves to see fairness and equality. Do you love it? God cares deeply, personally about justice. He cares so much that Jesus died for it. So should his people. Then the offering of Judah, and he says, I will come near you for judgment. That word judgment and justice are the same word. See, there's a second judgment for those who did not follow Christ. Who are those? What is God against? He's going to list some things here. Now, it's important that when he wanted to give an example, sort of a summary of justice, these are the things he listed. As a follower of God, God has given you a summary of justice. What are you going to do with it? Will you accept it or you ignore it? What does God care about? I'll be a swift witness against sorcerers. Now, what's that mean? Anybody here a sorcerer? Not that I know of. Maybe. Now, the modern meaning of sorcery and the ancient meaning are two separate things. We're not talking about Harry Potter. We're not talking about Aladdin. It's an ancient meaning that means you draw power from a spiritual force that is not God. In other words, God can't take care of you. You need to find somebody else who can take care of you. The spirit of God is not enough, so find another spirit, another magic power that can do what God was supposed to do. It's an unfaithfulness to God, seeking power outside of God. At this time, it was magic, but it could be anything. Anything that gives you what God should give you, sort of manipulations of reality. I don't feel like that's too apparent to us, but as it goes on, it gets more personal. Against adulterers. When you relate to the world, you know that the world, whether they're believers, the Christians or not, are not supposed to commit adultery. God's standard is not just for the church. It's for everybody. That's what justice is. Justice is saying to someone who is an atheist, saying to them, you should not commit adultery. It's wrong. It's against the way the world should be. How? Justice is giving people what to do to them. If you make a covenant with somebody, if you make a covenant with a spouse, what's due to that person is your faithfulness. And if you're unfaithful to that person, you have broken the law, God's law. It's unjust. What is adultery about? It's about sexual freedom. When you go out into the world as a Christian, is this your message? That sexual freedom is unjust? Why are we against abortion? Partly because it perpetuates the idea that sex has no consequences. That's unjust. Homosexual relations is contrary to what God has laid out as normal. So we say it's unjust. You see how it changes from what you feel about it to what God feels about it? Adultery is about being faithful to who God said you should have been faithful to. That's justice. And that's what Christians should tell other people. We should fight against the breakup of marriages. For everybody. We should support people who support marriage. We should oppose people who oppose marriage. 
Do you want justice? Do you want God's justice? He goes on against perjurers. Deceptive, false, misleading. American politics. Your relationship with your family. Well, I didn't lie. I know. But you're a perjurer. You misled them to believe something that was not true. So I didn't tell them to believe it. They believed it on their own. God will be a swift witness against injustice. When you gossip, gossip seems silly, doesn't it? Not to God. He says here, a gossip is a perjurer. I'll come near for you for justice. I'll be a swift witness. I will take the liars, the gossips, those who mislead people, and give them the full weight of judgment. You know why Jesus died on the cross? Because he was treated like a gossip. I heard the leading person in our nation gossip about another congress member. Some people said she did this. I don't know, but some people are saying it. That's a lie. That's unjust. And Christians should stand up and say, that is unjust. It should not be that way. Not like, well, people say, you know, people say things. You know what perjury is? It's using your mouth to create lies. But in America, we don't take anyone at their word, and so we discount their words. It's just talk. God says, I'll be a witness against those. Against those, you see, against, that means God is against them. Those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans. I feel like there's a debate in America between capitalism and socialism. Isn't there? Guess what's not in the Bible? Capitalism and socialism. Are you willing to give up your long-held belief in certain economic systems to be a just person? Are you? Or do you feel that it's necessary for justice that you have an economic system that God did not give you? You know who can exploit wage earners? Wage earners are basically people who live day to day. They don't have a security plan. They don't have long distance. They don't have wealth. You know who can exploit them? Capitalists. You know America was built on capitalism and exploitation? Read a history book. Capitalism can exploit people just as well as socialism. You know what it takes for capitalism to exploit people? People. So all it takes. Take some people who are capitalists and they will exploit people. And the same goes for socialism. So when we are fighting for justice and we equate that with an economic system, we are not following God. We are not doing justice. We are letting the world tell us what justice is. He did not say exploit wage earners because they're socialist or capitalist or communist. He said you give people what's due to them. If they work, they get paid. If you create systems where they can't work, you're unjust. Now apply that to the world. Exploit wage earners and widows and orphans. Who are these people? These are the people in society that don't have power. You see, justice is giving everybody what's due to them. But you know, some people get what's due to them because of who they are. You know, if you have a lot of money, you'll get justice in court. That's just a fact. Whereas if you're poor, 
you're likely not to get justice. So if you are seeking justice, you will focus on the people who are less likely to get it. I didn't make that up. God made that up. Deuteronomy 10, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice to the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Why does God focus on these people? Why does he say here the wage earners, the widows, and the orphans? Because those are the kind of people that will be exploited by a country. Nothing has changed. Nothing has ever changed in the history of humanity. People without social power will be exploited. So what does a Christian do? It goes looking for them. It goes and looks for those in society who will more likely be oppressed. If you're not looking for people who might be oppressed, you're not doing what God is doing. See, God is on the side of the poor, of the oppressed, of the marginalized. Are you on their side? How can you be on God's side if you're not on their side? What does the Bible say? Not what does Ronald Reagan say. Not what does Hillary Clinton say. What does God say? Trickle-down economics, social network, safety net, whatever. What does the Bible say? What we do in America is we receive information from the world, we process it, and then we evaluate the world. We do not receive information from the Bible and then evaluate the world. And you know what the world's going to tell you? You have to pick a side. And here are your sides, left or right. Which side are you on? Here's what the Bible says. Neither. I'm not on the left or the right. When Joshua stood before Jesus, Joshua asked him, are you a Republican or a Democrat? Are you a leftist or a right wing? Are you with us or against us? You know what Jesus said to him? Neither. I'm not for you or against you. The question is, are you with me? Are you with God? Or are you with Republicans? Or are you with Democrats? You can't have it both ways. You see, remember the straight line that you lay down? That's God's justice. And guess who does not keep to that line? Any human organization. Name me a human organization, and I'll show you where they do not follow God's plan. You cannot be committed to any human group in this world and be faithful to God. You must disagree with them at some point. You must speak against them at some point. Imagine justice is like a road. And imagine your favorite party or your opponent's party is like a drunk driver. Will they be on the road? Sometimes. Will they be off the road? Sometimes. What's our call? When they go off the road, we speak against them. When they're on the road, we speak for them. And it does not matter the party they affiliate with. If you have nothing good to say about Republicans, liberals, conservatives, Democrats, then you're saying, my side's always right, their side's always wrong, or worse, I can't talk about things that are right over there or wrong here. In other words, I don't care about justice. The last one here, against those who turn away an alien. The word alien means stranger, sojourner, immigrant. Now, you're going to be tempted to say, well, this doesn't apply to us. But that's because you were told it didn't apply to you. Someone on television 
or in your school told you didn't apply. It does apply to you because God still loves the same people. He still cares for the same people. He still looks out for the marginalized. And people who come from other countries to new countries are always marginalized unless they have power, money, wealth, things like that. So he says here, I'm against those who turn away an immigrant, an alien. You say, well, what's that? Sounds like you're talking about American southern border. No. Start with the Bible. Start with the Bible before you start with Fox News or CNN. Start with the Bible first. What's the Bible say? Then go there. Here's what the Bible says an alien is. A man who, this is the definition of the word, a man who alone or with his family leaves a village, tribe because of war, famine, epidemic, or other things, and seeks shelter and residence in another place where his rights are curtailed. That's what an immigrant is in the Bible. And then it says, you should be for them. And if you turn them away, God's against you. God's against you. Well, what about... No, start with the Bible. Why would you turn away these people? The answer is right here. Because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Let's apply the Bible to our lives. You know why you do these things? You know why you live unjustly and perpetuate injustice? Because you don't fear God. Who do you fear? I'll tell you. You fear political loss. You're against immigration because you're afraid they'll vote for the wrong party. You don't fear God. You fear political loss. And so you shape your life and your values and your sense of justice based on what will gain politics. Not what is right. You fear economic loss. You don't want to help the wage earner and the widow and the orphan because it will cost you money. And you are afraid of losing money. Not afraid of God. Afraid of economic loss. Now, I'm not making specific policy applications. You notice that? You're probably making them in your head. But let the Bible speak first before you jump to conclusions about what should happen in this specific instance. That's what Americans cannot do. They can't hold the Bible truth and apply it. They always hold the worldly truth and try to fit the Bible into it. You try to make sense of what's already happened for your group. You hear something that happens and you say, well, how can I make this work? Instead of saying, what's the Bible say? Uh To be honest, most Christians are a mouthpiece for a political party. And to be honest, conservative Christians, I'm not sure how many of you are conservative, but most Christians, like we are, are conservative. They're a mouthpiece for the Republican Party. They are there so often, pastors across America and members who follow them, to defend politics and to defend the people in them, to justify everything wrong that's said, to show why their party is right, not to do what God says. Why? Because you fear cultural loss. It's going to change our culture. So we're going to ignore the verse here about caring for them because we don't want to lose our culture. We are afraid that we're going to live in a different kind of country than what we grew up in. Fear, not of God, cultural loss. Fear of physical loss. It's dangerous. 
Do you see anything in here about danger being a qualifier? God didn't ask if you were afraid of being hurt. He said, are you going to do justice? Well, they're going to hurt my family. Do justice. They're going to bring crime. Who asked you that question? God didn't ask you that question. The Bible says don't turn away the alien, not the safe alien, not the wholesome one. Because we're trying to protect what's ours because that's what people do. We're afraid of structural loss. We want law and order. Let me ask you this question. Are you willing to lose America to follow justice? Because if you're not, you're not following God. Better that America crumbles to the ground and is destroyed by an outside force than that Christians in it do not speak up for justice. We are so worried about America being taken over that we don't know what the Bible says, that we speak up for injustice and are silent on justice. Okay. What are you supposed to do about it? Maybe you agree with this. Maybe you've had a change of mind. You want to follow what God says. What do you do about it? How do you seek justice? Number one, recognize that the government and your society has laws that are unjust. I didn't make that up either. It's a simple application of sin to the world. People are sinners. They make mistakes. They create unjust laws. Augustine, who's an African theologian from 1,500 years ago, says an unjust law is no law at all. Aquinas says laws may be unjust though being opposed, through being opposed to divine good. Such are the laws of tyrants inducing to idolatry or to anything else contrary to the divine law. And laws of this kind are not to be observed. Did you catch that? Government laws that oppose God's law are not to be observed because, as stated in Acts 5, we ought to obey God rather than man. An unjust law is no law at all. Appealing to being a law-abiding citizen does not cut it with God. This tradition has been around for 2,000 years, drawn from the Bible. Martin Luther King draws from him. He says, one may well ask, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? The answer lies in the fact that there are two types of laws, just and unjust. I would be the first to advocate obeying just laws. Why? Because you're obeying God. I'll be the first, but one has not only a legal, to obey just laws, but one not only has a legal, but a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine who said an unjust law is no law at all. You have a moral obligation as an image bearer of God, as someone who seeks justice, to oppose and break unjust laws because they break down the moral fiber of the universe. They oppose God himself. Are you going to stand against the world for God or try to cut a middle ground? How do you do it? You speak up. That's it? Yes, words have power. Words have more power than we give them credit for. Just in this this book we read last week, what does he expect? The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and the people should seek the law from his mouth. Isaiah 59 says the opposite. 
It, your, for your hands are defiled with blood and your lips with iniquity, or your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. What's the command? What's the problem with people? They won't say the right thing. Not just they won't stop it or do something. They won't say the right thing. Are you known in your circle as someone who speaks up for justice? If something unjust happens, can you be counted on to say something about it? When your political leaders say things that are wrong, can you be counted to speak up for it? Can you call out injustice even when it's your candidate? You see, some of us agree in our hearts that things are wrong, but we don't ever let it come out of our mouths. You're not seeking justice. You're perpetuating injustice. Dr. King says, we will have to repent in this generation not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Donald Trump spends most of his time causing division in America, including racist statements, misogynistic statements. Great. I can't control him. You know, I can control me. Are you speaking up against those things? Are you speaking up when Democratic lawmakers want to perpetuate and promote abortion? That's injustice. You're supposed to care for the weak. Seek out those who can't care for themselves. Are you at least saying something? Are you at least opening your mouth and saying that's wrong? Just do, just say something. That's what God requires of you. You can't change laws. You can't get people elected, impeached, unelected, but you can speak up. And you'll find that when you speak up, you will incur, incur a lot more damage than you expected. And maybe that's why we don't speak up. The second thing you can do is you can change your lifestyle. You know why no immigrants are coming to your door? Because you don't live near them. You're like, oh, I would never turn someone who needed help away. But you live in a nice neighborhood and they never show up, do they? And so we feel like, oh, I'd love to help people, but there's just no one around. Suburban America has created an environment where we're never faced with injustice. Ross Lester says, you must continually highlight God's desire for justice in spaces designed to remove people from experiencing injustice. The suburbs are wonderful. I really like living in them. Schools are good. The parks are good. The areas are safe. Thus, they can have a numbing effect. When suburbanites see other people suffering injustice, they can let their inexperience with injustice negate that experience. When was the last time someone knocked on your door to ask for help? So if you want to seek out the poor, the exploited, the immigrant, you're going to have to change the way you live, just like God changed the way he lived. Jesus left his home. See, none of us were knocking at heaven's door, were we? We were all down here. So what did God do? He came down here. And as long as you live in a comfortable space where you're never confronted with injustice, you can, you can fool yourself and deceive yourself into thinking that you would do something. But your very inaction shows that you would not do anything. So a follower of God gets out of his safe space and goes to where the problems are. 
Where is the God of justice? He's in his people. When you see a Christian, you should see the God of justice. We are called to be ambassadors of Christ. Messengers of Christ. Where is the God of justice? He should be right here with us. But the question is, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? God's side or the world's side? Let's pray.